Welcome back to the Full Cup Professionals Podcast, a podcast for helpers and givers. If you work with people, if you serve people, then this podcast is for you. I am one of your hosts, Krista Mayfield. And I'm your co-host, Faith Larson. And today we're diving into part two of Boundaries. We are going to be talking about the emotional side of boundaries. What is an emotional boundary? What is codependency? What is interdependency? What does it look like and feel like to know when our emotional boundaries have been crossed? How do we hold space for ourselves and others? We just talk about so much stuff in this episode. And we share a little bit about our own personal struggles with boundaries and emotional boundaries and the trial and error that we've had along the way and how that has led us to be where we are today. We really get deep in this episode, but in such a good way and really diving into how and why boundaries are essential if we're going to be people that serve from overflow. This conversation has been deeply instrumental in my own life and in Faith's life as well. And so we're so excited to dive in. We're pumped that you're here to listen. Let's get started. Okay, we are back with part two of our boundaries conversation because we dove into boundaries, faith, and I'm not surprised that this happened. We had more to say. We have things to say. Yes, we had lots of things to say. There was so much to unpack and discuss. Absolutely. We really focused on boundaries around our time and our work and aligning with our values, which I think was really, really important. But we realized to extend this conversation, there's a whole other side of boundaries that are more emotional and interpersonal that really play a huge, huge part in our stress. And so that's what we wanted to dive into today. Yeah. Interpersonal relationships are woven throughout our entire life. And so... This could be something that you personally struggle with, but then it could also spill over into work. Like how do the interpersonal relationships and dynamics of your workplace feed into that compassion fatigue or feed into that burnout or cause you the dread to not want to show up to work? And so, yeah, it is a topic that everyone could relate to, but it also can be really hyper-focused down into a workspace as well. Right. Well, and because we work in social services, (laughs) our work are the people, the people are our work. It's all mixed up together. And I think I've probably talked about this on the podcast before, but I realized that I was in a high trauma space working a lot. A lot of stuff was going on. But when I asked, what am I the most stressed about? I realized it had to do with all of this. And I was carrying weight, the weight of a responsibility or the desperate desire for an outcome that I had no control over. Yeah. And so we're talking today about those kind of boundaries. So yeah. I'm pumped because I know you have thoughts and I am so excited to hear them. I always have lots of thoughts. (laughs) And so we started a podcast. Uh, Yeah. I have a lot of experience dealing with it myself and now helping others deal with it as well. Before we dive in, though, what are you drinking in your cup tonight? Do you have anything in your cup? We're on the same wavelength. (laughs) No, I don't have anything at the moment, but I will finish my evening out. I know, I know. I'm a bad podcaster. But I will finish out my evening with a little peppermint tea. And then before I go to bed, I'm going to make an herbal infusion, which I will drink tomorrow. Oh, tell me more Um, about that. that. That just has... I'll probably brew red clover tonight. So it's just really hydrating. Herbs are so packed full of minerals and vitamins as well. And so I kind of rotate through the herbs that I use really as like a mineral supplement. So I steep them Mm. overnight. I brush my teeth and then I drink water first thing in the morning. And I like to drink these infusions to just set me up with some excellent hydration. So that's what will be in my cup tonight and tomorrow. Oh, nice. What are you drinking? Well, I am sporting my first ever full cup professionals tumbler cup. Isn't she pretty? She's beautiful. My neighbor who owns a boutique called Rustic Rubble Boutique made this cup for me. And so it's beautiful and I'm drinking out of it. I told her I'd give her a shout out tonight. But And it has a glass straw, which I didn't think I'd like at first, but I actually really like it. Oh, 
Awesome. Yeah. So I just have water in this tumbler. I'm going to go work out in the morning. And so I'm just trying to hydrate my body before I go work out in the morning, before I sweat it all out. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. What's the name of that boutique again? It's called Rustic Rubble Boutique. And you can find Rustic her at rustic.com. She makes a lot of really cool, unique stuff. Oh, well, thank you for making that cup for us. Yes, That's so awesome. It's beautiful. Podcast listeners, my dream is to eventually have merch. Like, yes, really that people cool could buy. Merch. Yes. Yes. So love us. <laughs> and then we'll like, make you stuff. All and different it'll be great. types of cups. Cups. Hats. I'm thinking, honestly, I really want art. Okay, we're getting way off topic, but we have vision, people. That's the point of this. <laughs> cups, hats. I really like the hat idea, actually. I could see us sporting some hats with our logo on it. We might have to just get those made before we get to the merch part so we could wear oh, them. I love it. So I like a summer Absolutely. hat. Are you thinking like ball cap? Yeah, I mean a ball cap or maybe a different type of hat. I like it. What Explore. kind of art are you thinking about? So I've been wanting to do this for a while. Well, we both, but I have so many artistic friends, like friends who just make incredible art there. Mm -hmm. That is not my gift, but my friends have this gift. And I just think there's an aspect to our work and a need to really intentionally bring beauty into the space. And so I'd really like to have some friends make collections of art. Oh, that'd um, be cool. Yeah, for people to be able to cool. go in and purchase something that really resonates with them for their office or their home, but just something that speaks to the heart of the work that we do. That would be super yeah, cool. So. I remember like at the organization we worked at together, someone had donated a bunch of really intentional art about the type of work that we did. And it was so intricate. It was all over the office. And I just remember on those really hard days, sometimes you would just go and look at the art and be like, oh, this is why we do this. So yeah, I love that idea. Yeah, same. All right, but back to boundaries. Boundaries, here we go. We talked last episode about boundaries and really defined. Yes. And I think you had a really good definition, right? That the boundaries are the difference between you and me. Yeah, there were one thing... It could be a real thing or an imaginary mm. thing ends and another thing begins. And so we use that analogy of the door. A physical door is a physical boundary where my living space, it shows where my living space starts and ends and where the rest of the world starts. And so as we got into the nitty gritty stuff, we started talking about our imaginary emotional boundaries or time boundaries, or I guess personal boundaries, there's a bunch of different categories within personal boundaries, but they're more imaginary, but they're more like our emotional doors. We get to decide how often we want to open them or if we want to open them all the way or who we want to open them for and who we want to invite in once we open the door, or who we want to keep outside and step outside and talk to them out there. And so I really love that analogy because it really helps to physicalize a concept that's not super tangible. And like you said last time, not everybody knows what their boundaries are. And so it's like sometimes we have to go, oh, where are my emotional doors before we can know how often we want to open them or how far we want to open them. And so, yeah, so that's kind of where we landed. We have emotional doors. And when we're talking about interpersonal boundaries and emotional boundaries, it really is the concept of knowing who is a person that I feel safe enough to open my door all the way and have in my circle who are the people that I'm cordial and friendly with, but I step outside my door to talk to them. I don't really let them into my intimate personal thoughts. And so, yeah, that's the gist of what we're talking about here. And so if we stick on this analogy of the emotional doors as we go through, I think that will help us kind of conceptualize it as we keep going. Yeah, absolutely. I want to really normalize that topic of learning your boundary. This is true for me, but I think it, it's probably universally true. Like I don't think I'm the exception that I think we have to learn our boundaries by crossing them ourselves or having them crossed. We figure out our boundaries when they're tested because otherwise we don't spend our life walking into the wall, right? We don't spend our life like running into the door. You're only really conscious of the doors there when you interact with it, when you walk into it. And so sometimes I think we have like, oh gosh, I, I love me a, a good slapstick moment where somebody just like walks into a glass 
you know, like the sliding glass oh, doors yeah. where the glass is so clean, <laughs> they like smack into it. Yeah. That's been me of like, ouch, why did that hurt? Or why was that so uncomfortable? Or why did I respond that way? Yeah. I, I got really irritated. Or I got really anxious. Oh, maybe I wasn't comfortable. And then just to get curious, explore that. Yeah. And go, oh, maybe... Maybe I need some more clarity first before I say yes. Or maybe yeah. maybe I didn't want to have that conversation in a dark parking lot. I didn't feel safe. I think we really learn our boundaries in the moments where we cross them. And then we can go back and do some work and figure out why was that so off? Yeah. And then use that information as we move forward. Yeah. And you know, like we talked about this last time, I think you are correct in that as adults, we have to learn our boundaries. But I also think that as adults, we are relearning our boundaries because Mm. a lot of, especially like our age people, we grew up in the like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Or, (laughs) oh, be a nice girl, be a good girl. Like we grew up in the era where it was like more important to be nice and polite than it was to hold your boundaries. And it's really refreshing that the pendulum's kind of swinging back to parents really safeguarding their kids' boundaries. Like, oh, your body's telling you that that person is not someone you want to interact with. Okay, I'm going to let you trust your body so that we're reinforcing that we do know what our boundaries are at a very young age. But we are taught from a very young age, our generation, generation before us, generation X, we're millennials, generation Y, I don't know all the generations, but... It's still a couple generations underneath us as well that grew up with that type of notion of like, hey, it's more important for you to be well-liked and for you to be polite and for you to be a perfectionist than for you to listen to your boundaries. And so mm-hmm. you're right. As adults, when we get into these workspaces or when we get into real life, you're right. We do realize our boundaries by running into that glass door and going, oh gosh, why did that door come out of nowhere? Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. So to kind of roll with this door and house analogy, boundaries are that defining factor between where one thing ends and another begins. And if we're going to think about our lives, especially our internal world, our own thoughts, our own emotions, and our locus of control, our responsibility, we can kind of think about it like, like a house, like a home. And what happens in the home is my responsibility and I have authority because it's my home. Yes. Another person from the outside doesn't have that authority. They don't have that ability. And I think where this gets a little tricky is like I could technically come over and do someone else's dishes. Yes, technically. But in this <laughs> but in this internal world, there are things that are yours and yours alone. Mm-hmm. Your emotions, <clears throat> your thoughts, your actions, your responses. These belong to us. Yeah. And I think as we grow up, a lot of us, I just think in general, yeah. some more than others, have been taught that I am in charge of your emotions. I can control how, if I just do X, Y, Z, I can control how you feel or I can control what you think about me. And that one right there, I can can control and manipulate how you think about me when that's actually not true. It's phrases like this. It's going to hurt their feelings Mm. or I want to be seen as, or I want them to know that I want them to like me or we all kind of I want to be the team player. Exactly. Yes. I have to help them. I need to help them. Well, why? (laughs) Right? And so there is this distinction. There are things that belong to you, Faith, and there are things that belong to me. Your thoughts, emotions, actions, responses are yours, and mine are mine. Now, I have to conscientious of how I move throughout the world And I have to know that my actions do impact other people. So I'm not saying that we're all isolated bubbles and no one should be moved or affected. That's not it at all. I think what you're saying is that people are allowed to be affected by the decisions that we make, even if it's affected in a negative way. But what we're taught and what society kind of holds is that no one should ever have a negative consequence or a negative emotion or negative experience by us holding a boundary. And so because of that, we decide not to hold boundary. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Oh, that's a big one, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't hurt their feelings. I don't want to be rude. I want to be nice. Yeah. We're taught to like modify 
our behavior, especially how we really feel, mm-hmm. again, to control how someone else feels. And that, first of all, really impacts our authenticity and our honesty. Yeah. Because what we're believing in that moment is this is how it is, but I can't be that way because it's bad or it's going to yeah. affect someone else. <laughs> and, it, you know, it kind of is a little bit about like conditional love. Like if you had a parent who mm-hmm. only would show you love and affection if you did X, Y, and Z, that's how we learn, oh, I can't be who I really want to be. I have to be what they want me to be. And so it's a conditioned response. You know, if we're talking about those trauma responses, we have fight mm-hmm. or flight and freeze, which we've talked about. And fawn, we haven't talked about as much, but this is what fawn is. Fawn is people-pleasing, fawning to other people because we want to be well-liked or we don't want to stir the pot or we want to be seen as a team player. We want to, like you said earlier, control how people see us. And in order to do that, we have to set aside our authenticity because there's this belief that like, well, if I said what I really felt, then nobody would like me. And whether that's true or not, it may be true depending on what setting you're in, but most of the time that's not true. Right. So boundaries are part of this process of acknowledging, right? Boundaries are arbitrary. They exist. And so they mark what is mine and what is yours. Emotions, choices, beliefs, those belong to the individual. They belong to you. They belong to me. I can't, no matter how much I want to, control what someone else feels, thinks, believes, the choices they make. All I can do is decide how I want to be in the world and how I want to show up. And that is an incredibly vulnerable way to be. It is the only way to really be free, I think, but it is really vulnerable. And so once you kind of decide, right, like, or once we can kind of identify, okay, these are mine to own, mine to live into, mine to decide how I want to do, what I want to do with my beliefs, my choices, my actions, my words, and I can't control someone else's, then we have to decide what are we going to do with those things. So when it comes to your emotions, it's my job to feel, process, express, and manage my own emotions. And it's your job to do the same with yours. Mm -hmm. As a parent, it's your job to feel, process emotions. And it's the child's job to do that. And as a parent, it's your job to, to help, to teach to help them the child. How. Yeah, to help the child and to teach them how. I think a really good example of what an emotional boundary is when we're talking about this, like my feelings are mine and your feelings are yours and it's my job to process them. Some people are external processors and that's okay. I'm an external processor. And so a lot of times I need to talk to someone about what is happening. But because I have learned emotional boundaries for myself and try to hold emotional boundaries as sacred for other people, I have some very trusted people in my circle that I would call in a time where I needed to actually process something that was very intimate or personal. But then I always try to start the conversation with like, hey, I'm about to go super in depth with (laughs) what's going on (laughs) in my life and what's going on with my emotions. And like, do you have space for me to process this with you? Mm. First of all, do you have the time to really go through this with me? And do you have the space and the emotional capacity? And then if the answer is no, it's like, okay, cool. I respect that. But a lot of times when the answer is no, it's like, but hey, I might tomorrow or hey, let's set up a time to do that. And it can be this really cool thing because then what you realize is people will then do that back to you. Go, oh, hey, I really need to process something, but do you have space for this? And then I get to decide whether I do or not. And then if I do, I'm making a conscious choice that if someone now put all of their stuff into my atmosphere, I'm like, oh, I chose to allow this in. I chose to open my emotional door for this. Yes. But, you know, the process of finding out who those people are is hard. And the process of like Mm -hmm. starting out the conversation with like, hey, do you have space for me to process something with you? Like that can get awkward at first. But one of the things that has always stuck with me about what Brene Brown says in that book of The Gifts of Imperfection is that, you know, she talks about only sharing your story with the people that have earned the right to hear your story. I think about that all the time because I'm like, I'm not just going to spill my beans to anybody, Joe Schmo on the street, because that person hasn't earned the right to hear my story. They haven't 
been in the trenches with me emotionally or physically, you know, or they haven't taken the time to get to know me. Or maybe they have been in the trenches with me and they did something that made me go, oh, you're not the person that I can share with. Maybe they gossiped about somebody else when somebody else shared with them. The first step of figuring out how can I process my emotions is knowing, am I an internal processor? Am I an external processor? And then figuring out what does that mean? If I'm an external processor, how do I externally process without crossing someone else's emotional boundaries? Yes, absolutely. I love that asking about the space because again, trauma happens when you didn't, when something happens to you that you didn't ask for and it was a negative experience, right? So when someone calls and just like, barfs on you, right? You're like, whoa, I didn't have any control over whether that came into my space or not. Uh And it's the same thing with social media. We're scrolling and we're so conscious of the tragedy in the world. And I think it is important. Uh I am a deep believer in not burying your head in the sand. But I've also come to learn I have a capacity. And the more distraught I get about what's happening everywhere, the more I lose sight of Again, Mm -hmm. living into my boundaries and realizing, okay, what is mine? My choices are mine. And at this moment in time, I can't change what's happening over there, but I can do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And so again, just having that filter. And I think another helpful caveat to share as you're starting these conversations is, hey, I have something I'm working through. I'd like to process it. I don't need you to fix it. I don't need you to like take this on? Can I just be with you? Mm -hmm. And again, boundaries are so key because it's two individuals with two individual experiences, individual emotions, being able to be present with each other. Yes. But so often those lines get blurred and you start to share or you're going through something and then I emotionally pick up that backpack Mm -hmm. and begin to wear. Let me carry this for you. Yes, and begin to wear your sorrow and your experience. And I call it compassion or I call it being empathetic, but really it's codependency. (laughs) Really, it's a lack of boundaries. (laughs) Because what codependency really is, is my state is determined by someone else. My internal world is determined by someone else. So if you come to me, and I would do this all the time, I carried a backpack and I swear I carried like a badge of honor. And if you were suffering, ooh, I add a rock. If someone across the world is going through something, I had a rock. And I've done all kinds of things. And I've been a missionary and I served with refugees. And I have thoughts about all those experiences and my own involvement and all of that. But emotionally and mentally, I'm trying to lessen the suffering of the world by absorbing into myself. And so I would carry these, I would be conscious of and feel responsible for things that were not my own. And I think I had been taught that that was compassion. And so when we're dealing with clients, and I'd really love to hear as a trauma therapist how this works with you. I know for me, we're working with people exiting trafficking situations. So their anxiety becomes my anxiety. This mother's distraught mind frame because she doesn't know where her child is now becomes my own. And I here I am, I'm trying to do normal life. I'm trying to do my job or be with my family or be with my friends or do other things. But I've got this backpack, this brain space full of the emotions of other people. Yeah, And I've had to learn to sit with friends who are distraught, who are in a moment of trauma, all types of things. I've had to learn to sit there and go, I'm fine. They're not okay, but I'm okay. Yeah. And be okay with that. And to be okay with that. Like, it's okay that I'm okay right now. Yes. And oh, to be honest, it still kind of hurts me a little bit because I'm just like, but I shouldn't be okay because you're so not okay. But I had to learn that actually me absorbing their emotions and their mind frame doesn't change their situation at all. Yeah. It never did. And so I had to learn the only way that I can continue to show up and continue to be able to sit here with you is know that I am where I'm at, which right now is not the same as you, not the same place as you, not the same emotional state. And I'm going to be here with you and I'm going to love you and I'm going to hold space for whatever you're feeling. And it doesn't mean that I have to feel it. Well, and I think 
you know, you asked me like, as a trauma therapist, how does that work out for me? And as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, you, you talked about like the headspace and I'll come back to the headspace in a little bit. But when you're talking about being okay with where you're at, you know, I think as a trauma therapist, we go through a lot of training to learn how to do this because, you know, it is hard. But the thing that was like coming up for me as you're talking is I'm like, a person who's in suffering doesn't want you to be suffering along with Mm -hmm. them. And then also a person who's in suffering may not feel comfortable if you are also suffering. They may be like, oh, are you able to help me? Or, oh, are you able to handle this? You know, like if I'm, to use your analogy, taking on that backpack for every single client, by the end of the day, I'm going to be in the ground. And then that client at the end of the day who has the afternoon appointment, that's not fair to them. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually an act of service and it's actually an act of professionalism to not carry that backpack and to go, I can hold space for you and I can hold space for you and I can hold space for you. And I can also hold space for myself, but I do that somewhere else. I have set aside time specifically to hold space for myself to unpack the things that do come home with me because inevitably things do come home. But a part of that is to have a space, preferably a therapist's office and a trusted friend both are needed <laughs> or consultation to talk about these things in a safe environment and in, in a safe place. And, you know, it is hard when you tie in confidentiality, you know, cause I can't just call a friend and be like, let me tell you about my day. That's why mm-hmm. I have to have consultation or that's why I have to be in therapy so that I have a place that is ethical for me to do those things. That's an important piece of the work that we do too, is it is best practices to be in our own therapy. Like, I go to therapy because it's helpful for me. But even on the days where I'm like, well, I may not have anything to talk about today. It's usually me lying to myself because I always have something I can talk (laughs) about. But I still show up because it's best practices for me to be here. And the thing is, is that I always end up having something to talk about. And it does allow me to have that space to hold space for myself while I can Mm -hmm. genuinely and authentically and cheerfully and joyfully hold space for other people. Now, that's me today, and it's been a long journey to get there. But, you know, where you said, like, the headspace, early on in my career, gosh, the clients that I worked with would just, like, live in my head. Even Mm. when I first became a therapist, my clients would live in my head. And I've had to train myself to allow myself to think about them, you know, because there are things that are hard. You know, so I have to give myself that space to think about them. Okay, I'll allow myself to think about all my clients today for 30 minutes. And then I'm going to wrap that up and I'm going to put it in a box and I'm going to say, hey, I'll open this box up tomorrow, you know, when I get back to work. Or sometimes if there's a client that's like just constantly, 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 constantly on my head. And like you said earlier, there's not a whole lot I can do about that. Most of the time, the clients that are on my head are going to be the clients I'm not seeing currently or when we were working with trafficking victims who have absconded or you know gone away. And so I'm worried about them, I guess, is the reason why I'm thinking about them. But there's nothing I can do because I'm not in that power. And so a couple of years ago, I really started shifting the way that I encountered that with instead of like just letting them live rent-free in my mind was really going, okay, this person is on my mind because I'm worried about them and I have no control over what happens with them. And like, that's heavy and that hurts me. I've had several different helping professions over the course of my career, but every single one I got into it to help people. And so when it feels like, oh, I'm worried about them because whatever program or whatever I worked at wasn't helpful, that hurts. And so I really had to adopt this new way of thinking of every time someone was in my head, I just started praying for them. And I would just say, hey, God, I have no idea why this client is just over and over and over and over and over in my head. But please help them know that wherever they are, that they're loved. Or please help them know that wherever they are, they're safe. Or please show them a sign that you're with them during this time. And you know, it would be different for whatever came up, I would just pray for that. And that has been so powerful for me. And I like to think it wherever they are, it's powerful for them too, that instead of just letting them ruminate in my head over and over again, where that has no help to me or them, that I then turn that worry into something 
productive. And whether that ever shows up on their side, wherever they're at, I have no idea. But at least for me, it feels like, hey, that was productive. That's the only thing I have control over right now is to pray for them and to send those good vibes and those well wishes and the longing for them to feel like someone is next to them out into the world. And that gives me that peace that I can go, okay, now I did what I'm responsible for and I can let it go. Yes. I love that because that really dovetails into the second kind of aspect of, you know, what is yours and what is mine and that distinction. Our emotions are that separation, but then there's our choices, which is like, what am I going to do? And we all have choices. Like we're all living our life, doing our thing, but especially in those moments that you just described the, I want it to be this way, but I have no control. Mm -hmm. I want them to like me but I can't decide how they feel about me. For us in social services, a lot of times it's, I want them to be okay. And either they're not, usually they're not, and I have no control over that. Yeah. And so what you decided to do was what is in my power. Mm-hmm. And it feels small, but to send that prayer, to send that love out into the world and go, I have no control, but with the little control I do have, with the choice I can make, this is what I'm going to do in the mm-hmm. moment. and. I can promise you, if you feel heavy with the burdens of all the things that you wish were different, and you're carrying those like rocks in your backpack, the backpack feels productive because carrying heavy stuff always feels, the effort feels like you're doing something, but you're not really, and I had to get really brutally, brutally honest with myself, I wasn't actually making a difference in the world with my backpack. Yeah. My backpack wasn't helping anybody. It felt hard. And so it felt like I was doing something, but I wasn't doing squat. Yeah. And I had to really get honest with if I let go of this backpack and what it means about me. And I had to get honest about why. Why am I so attached to carrying this backpack? Why am I afraid? Why isn't it like, well, just stop. (laughs) Like, why doesn't that work for me? I had to get honest about what that backpack was for me. And for me, it was, I feel like I'm doing something. I feel like I can prove to people, look, look what I'm carrying. What would it look like if I was just walking around all free? And again, as a believer, right, that really struck me because I was like, oh, I kind of say that I believe that like Christ set us free and whatnot, but I'm not living it. Mm, Yeah, And I'm afraid to live it because I'm afraid that if I'm walking around all free and happy, then I'm not going to be good and people are just going to think I don't care. And so I had to really, really, really reframe this. But what you just described, I think is really where that power is, which is, okay, this is how I feel. I want it to be this way. And I have no control over that. So now what am I going to do? And that's where knowing your values is so important because no matter what anyone else is doing, no matter what anyone does or says, I always get to choose how I show up. Yeah. I don't get to choose what happens to me, but I do get to choose how I respond. And if I miss it in the moment or my survival brain kicks in, you know what? I might've missed it that time, but I can get the next one. I can catch the next one. And it's taking that responsibility. Yeah, Um, you can use that as information to help you inform the next one. Every time you hit that glass door, you're like, oh, oops. Let me take this in and get curious about this and then go, oh, that's why I hit the glass door again. Okay, well, now that I know better, I can do better. Right. And, you know, it's been out that shame and judgment of ourselves too, because that mm-hmm. that's the key piece. <laughs> that's the key piece is yes. not going, oh my God, I hit the glass door again. I'm such a horrible person. And I'm so dumb. That shame and that's judgment. Instead of going, oh, okay, I hit that door again. Huh, what was different about this situation than the previous situation when I didn't hit the door? Oh, this one thing was different. Oh, what does that mean? Oh, okay. And then getting curious and kind with yourself and going, oh gosh, that must have been hard to not even realize that that's what was happening. Mm -hmm. But now I do. And so now I don't have to run into that door next time. Yes. This episode is sponsored by Holistic Hope. Holistic Hope's mission is to foster hope by integrating a holistic approach to trauma-informed therapy and training. 
I am Faith Larson, licensed clinical social worker and owner of Holistic Hope. I am a certified clinical trauma and integrative mental health practitioner. Additionally, I am trained in evidence-based therapy modalities, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, commonly known as EMDR, and the revolutionary safe and sound protocol, which is based off of the polyvagal theory, and talk therapy motivational interviewing. If you are a helping professional needing a safe space to process all of the stressors of your job or wanting to enhance your knowledge and skills to work more effectively with your clients, Holistic Hope has a place for you. Contact me at faith at holistichope.net or by phone at 281-215-3716 for a free consultation. Or if you want to know all of the services that Holistic Hope provides, visit us at our website at holistichope.net. Yeah, that compassion is so important because I think around this topic of taking responsibility, and maybe it's just my own head, but it always comes with this hint of shame attached, you know? I think Um, that that's a universal thing. Shame is a huge, huge problem in our society. You know, our society, especially within the Christian culture, is shame and fear. It's just so damaging. Yes. And I think when we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times the reason that we keep pursuing the same patterns, especially when it comes to trying to control things we can't control, because we can, again, put forth a lot of effort and trying to manipulate, manage, control other people's thoughts, beliefs, actions, whatever. And while we're doing that, we're neglecting we're not taking responsibility for ourselves because we're so busy trying to manage or manipulate the external, what happens out there that we don't really have control over. And I think we do that because I think we are a lot of times afraid to take responsibility. And again, even when I say that, there's this voice in my head or I kind of feel it in my chest. It's like, oh, you don't want to take responsibility. Like you're too lazy. But something that I've learned about myself recently is I've been really stressed, (laughs) super, just really fearful of a lot of different things. And everything has felt really overwhelming. And when I've stopped and asked myself and gone, why is this stressful? It's because I believe I can't do it. And so I think when we avoid responsibility, when I don't want to take responsibility for how I feel, or I don't want to take responsibility for my own actions. And most of us are not consciously doing that. Can I stop you really quick and offer a reframe, a non-shameful reframe? Because you just said like, you're fearful that you can't do something. And then in the next sentence, you said, you know, but I don't want to, or I, I don't do this, or I don't do that. And those two things contradict each other. It's not that you don't want to, it's that you're avoiding. That's where I was going. That's where I was going, is that I'm realizing, oh, when I don't take responsibility, it's not because I'm lazy or I don't care. It's actually because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I can't do it. And I think in this world where we've been taught, when it comes to boundaries and handling our own decisions, our own emotions, is we've been often raised in a very codependent culture that says you're limited by what other people say about you and do to you. And this happened to me, so that's why I'm this way. And and we kind of, as a general culture, I think we live that way where we kind of swap, we try to swap responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to this idea of taking responsibility, yeah, I don't think it's because we're lazy. I think it's because we get confidence by doing, right? We learn, oh, I can do this. And so if you've never done it before, Of course, it seems daunting. Of course, it seems scary. And of course, we're afraid to put our hands to it because we don't know for sure that we can do it. Yeah, you don't know what to expect. So so thank you for that reframe because, yes, I want to reframe this idea of responsibility for us, which is not whatever that feeling of shame is. I love what you said. Oh, wow, that must have been really hard. That was really hard. You didn't know how to handle that. You weren't sure that you could do that. I just think if we can take away that judgment piece and realize most of us avoid vulnerability because frankly, bare bones, we don't know if we can survive it, (laughs) right? We haven't been taught that you can be 
yourself hopeful and flawed Mm. and privileged or marginalized or whatever. We haven't been taught that you can just be who you are and that you're enough and it's going to be okay. The world has its ways of teaching us that maybe that's not true. And we have to keep showing up and go, actually, I'm not going to be defined by that. This is who I'm going to be. And that's that radical responsibility. But it takes courage because quite frankly, we're never going to have that experience that builds that confidence until we do it scared. Yeah. I talk about Brene Brown a lot, but like, I mean, everything she says is just like, it's just like the Bible, <laughs> especially especially when you're talking about this, like the Bible of shame and vulnerability. So absolutely. But like, yeah. you know, she talks about this, about vulnerability. People think that not being vulnerable is being strong, but it's like, it's actually like being vulnerable is the most courageous thing you could ever do. You know, I've heard her say that a million times, like being vulnerable is the most courageous thing you could ever do because it's so scary and you really have to put yourself out there and see what lands and how it lands and who it lands with. Going back to this concept of safe people, like practicing Mm -hmm. vulnerability is how we learn who is safe and who isn't. And that doesn't mean that Practicing vulnerability is going to feel good because it doesn't always, you know, but I think another key piece about what Brene Brown talks about is that really understanding who is this vulnerability for? Like, am I doing vulnerability for me because I want to stay out of judgment or am I doing vulnerability to manipulate what you think about me? Am I using vulnerability in a way to read now? Oh, you're mad at me. So now I'm going to throw some vulnerability out here so that you redirect how you feel about me. Oh, that's deep. <sighs> I wish I could say I made it up, but <laughs> it's from Brene Brown. But it's so true. It's just we constantly always have to be checking in with ourselves of, hey, why did I share that just now? You know, like, did I share that within the safe space of my trusted circle? Because that's what we showed up to do tonight at Girls Night. Or did I share that because I'm sitting in this place and I'm uncomfortable and I'm like, hey, let me throw you a shocking detail about my life. I think everyone's done that, but that's not vulnerability. That's crossing emotional boundaries, yours and possibly someone else's. You've talked about codependency. You've said the word codependency a couple of times. And so just briefly tell us, what does codependency mean? I'm going to shoot you straight. I don't really know. (laughs) It's been one of those things where I've learned about it and have read a few things, but I had to kind of create not my own definition. Yeah, give, give me but just what you, what you have conceptualized it to mean. So I think in the past, I've always thought of codependent as like, oh, I need you. I can't be on my own. Like those needy, clingy people. I am starkly independent. I am your classic avoidant attachment. <laughs> I am fine. Thank you very much. I will play with my own toys and I will be stressed and you'll never know it. So I've always felt very You're independent. like the anti-codependent. Or you thought. So I thought. Yes. Plot twist. (laughs) False. Because when I kind of defined it as that, or when I I heard it, and again, I've just been kind of collecting bits and pieces. And so it's not this like one book or one study. Although if you follow Organic Olivia on Instagram, she's an herbalist, but she also talks about a lot of different stuff and has had her own journey. And I've learned a ton from her. But this idea that my state is dependent on someone else's. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and, that's basically what it and, is. Which I just didn't yeah. know. I just think I had this like stereotypical idea of codependency in my head. And so then to really understand, oh, it's not just I'm not okay if you're not okay. It's I can't be okay if you're not okay. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. If you're okay, I'm okay. It wasn't ever really like that. It was like, if you're not okay, I didn't feel like I was allowed to not be, mm-hmm. to be okay. Yeah. Well, the world is not okay. Yeah. And especially in the last, I guess it's almost 10 years, I feel like really 2016, things just went great. But it just felt like consistently there's just been more and more suffering and our world has shifted more and more online. We're sharing more. So we're more aware of it. And so it's this constant, I can't ever just settle. I can't ever be happy or content with what I have because I'm constantly aware that other people are suffering. So some part of me has to carry that weight. Some part of me has to be suffering. And so that has been really helpful. And then thinking about that, 
well, what is yours and what is mine? And realizing, oh, you are in control of your emotions. No matter how much my heart bleeds for you, no matter how much I want better for you or want better for the world or whatever, all of that emotional oof yeah. isn't doing anything. Yeah, it's like you can actually care and also hold boundaries, which is the opposite of what we're told or what we're taught or what we're conditioned to be, you know, but I love that you brought up like, you know, codependency versus the type of relationship where we actually do need each other because we do need each other. We were created to be social creatures and to live in community with people and to live in partnerships with people. That is called interdependence. Like I am interdependent on my husband. We have chosen to be interdependent on each other. But even within our marriage, we are two independent people. And if his emotional state is always determined by my emotional state or my emotional state is always determined by his emotional state, we would be in some pretty bad emotional states all the time. Thinking about this podcast, like we have chosen to be interdependent on each other to produce this podcast, but that doesn't mean that we are the same person or that we have the same interests or that we have the same ideas. And because of that, we have to have conversations about some things and go, oh, this is working for me. Oh, this isn't working for me. What about we try this? What about try this? And sometimes those aren't always fun conversations, you know? But when you have decided to be interdependent with somebody, and it should be a choice, you should not be forced to be interdependent on somebody because then that is not interdependence, that's abuse, (laughs) which is a whole nother topic. But when you have freely chosen to be interdependent with somebody, you are allowed to hold emotional boundaries. The next step is communication. There has Mm -hmm. to be communication and it has to be, Hey, we need to have a hard conversation. How can we have it? And that's hard. I struggle with that so much. I think I'm getting better at it. I'm getting more confident with it, but gosh, I've ran into that you know, glass door so many times on, Ooh, I'm feeling something. And now because I feel something, it's my responsibility. Like you're talking about the responsibility is that when we are interdependent on somebody and I feel a boundary being crossed, it is now my responsibility to communicate that to you. Because if I don't, then it's my fault that my boundaries keep getting crossed. Because I haven't said, hey, you're crossing my boundaries. And I'm not talking about you personally, for those listening. We're not talking about a situation. I'm just using this as an example. (laughs) Like That's where the responsibility lies, is once I have realized what my boundary is, and I'm in a freely chosen interdependent relationship, whether that be my spouse, my partner, my mom, my sister, my coworkers, I then have to communicate that boundary and say, ooh, Mm, this didn't sit with me the right way. Can we talk about it? And then once you throw that bid for communication out there, what that other person does with it is their responsibility. And that's where we have to leave it is, hey, I did what I was supposed to do with my responsibility. And because we're interdependent and not codependent, I have to then learn how to be okay with whatever it is that person on the other end says. And if I'm not okay with it, then then that's information. Yes, to make your next decision. And I think that is never done, right? We never get to just be like, oh, this way it is. We get to sit comfy. (laughs) Like, okay, this is how they responded. Yeah, Great or not so great. So now what am Mm -hmm. I going to do? And that concept comes up a lot is what if people don't follow my boundaries that I set? And it's like, Mm -hmm. you can never expect someone to follow your boundaries. You should only expect that you will then reinforce your boundaries if they weren't set. You know, that's an example of a safe person. If a safe person is safe to you, they will respect your boundaries. They may have some negative feelings about it. It may upset them initially, or they may say, oh, I thought our relationship was different, but they'll respect that you communicated to them a boundary. And if they don't respect it, they're not a safe person. You mentioned how forced interdependence is abuse. And I think that ties in really, really well with this topic because I don't know, for the last several years, as I've taught about abuse and trafficking, I've taught that to heal from abuse is to regain your autonomy because abuse by definition is damages your choices. 
Yeah. Yes. It's a violation of that autonomy. It's someone's choices being imposed on you. We lose a bit of our autonomy. We lose touch with our autonomy. And so if you're going to heal from it at that experience, it's finding and discovering again and learning to live into that autonomy that we have. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to our work with clients, this is why it is so, so, so important that we do not work in a codependent manner. Yes. And that we recognize that if I'm here to serve you, this beautiful being that has been through something awful, the best service I can give you is to be constantly reflecting your autonomy back to you. And that means by honoring your autonomy and by honoring mine, by acknowledging that your choices are 100% yours. And no matter how much I wish the best for you or want you to be safe or want you to be okay, my manipulation to get you there, even if it's well-intended... It's a problem, but we're not even getting the goal. The goal is to help you heal, which is to restore your autonomy. And so if I'm desperately trying to control the outcome or control how you feel, or I want you to like our program, or I want you to not run or whatever it is I want you to do, I have to take a breath and I have to realize I can't control that. I can't control if you decide to use. I can't control if you go back to your abuser. I can't control if you... Like what we've done for you, if you don't, if you have problems, all I can do is just say, here I am. I'm going to decide how I show up and I'm going to show up with my training, with my excellence, with my heart. I'm going to be all in, but I cannot control what you do. And I think our organization made a lot of headway in working in that. And it makes a difference when we really can release this person and say, hey, this is your life. And again, a lot of times for those that have been in these abusive situations, they get what we get culturally, but like on steroids, this Mm. interdependent, I'm entirely responsible for someone else's emotional state and I have no control over my own life. Their existence is kind of like all of our existence just to the extreme. And so as we work with them, we have to model and live into these really healthy boundaries to really be like, hey... I'm okay and I'm not collecting your emotional baggage like rocks because how I feel isn't your job. Yeah. You don't have to do that anymore. But when we carry those their emotions like rocks, we're reinforcing their experience. And it's not going to help in the yeah. long run. Yeah, no, I agree and it kind of reminds me again about like co-regulation, you know, we've talked about it with kids is, you know, it's a parent's job to help a child co-regulate. As a helping professional, it's our job to share our calm and to, like you said, model, model these concepts. And so, yeah, when you have a client saying like, well, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, being calm and going, okay, that's your choice. Or, okay, tell me what that would look like for you. If you did choose to do that today, what would that look like for you? But I'm still completely calm. I'm not upset. I'm not manipulating. That might be the first time that they've ever said something authentically and not gotten an emotional response. And so then they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, what is this? So a lot of times it's modeling the healthy boundaries and modeling, hey, your emotional state isn't going to affect my emotional state and my emotional state shouldn't affect your emotional state. Modeling that for somebody might be the first time that they've ever witnessed that or experience that, it's so vitally important to be able to have those spaces where we can then later go work out, gosh, I'm so disappointed that this happened. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't have that space, then inevitably it will start to creep up into the spaces working with our clients. And that's what we don't want. And I think, you know, the last thing that I want to say, and that really is something that I have learned, like when I keep hitting that emotional glass door, I wouldn't say that this is even true of clients anymore, but this is maybe more in my personal life. But like when I start to feel dread of somebody calling, like if I get a phone call and I'm like, oh, I don't want to answer that phone call. Or, you know, maybe I do dread going to work one day, which that happens very rarely, but it used to happen a lot in the past. But Anytime I feel dread, that is always, 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 always an indication that I need to check in with my boundaries and reset my boundaries. 
anytime I feel dread, it is never anyone else's fault that they caused me to feel dread. It is always because I have stepped over my boundary for whatever reason. And I have to go, oh gosh, okay. I need to check in and figure out why. Get curious. Why did I step over my boundary? And how can I reset the boundary? How can I communicate, hey, this wasn't working? And so that has been the number one indicator for me of, oh, I'm outside of my emotional boundaries of how I know. You know, like we've been talking about, like, how do we know what my emotional boundary is? And sometimes you're right. I don't know that until after I've stepped over it and I go, oh, there's the dread. Oops. Okay. And then I got to get curious with myself. I love that because again, it's checking in with your responsibility and realizing I feel this way because I have allowed this to happen or I overstepped or I promised him whatever it is and then going okay I have to make a different choice here I have to go back and fix it I have to have a hard conversation I have to say no or I have to say yes whatever it is but it's a new practice because just like you described we don't often stop to think right we're just like oh I gotta go into work today and it's this like pit in your stomach or you see that person and you get irritated or you get bristly and we just are like oh that person makes me feel Uh this way (laughs) but it's not the other person yeah no one makes you feel anything yeah (laughs) not to I mean I wouldn't say no one makes you feel anything people can make you feel things but it's our responsibility to go why does that person make me feel this if it's a negative thing or if it's negative to you And then to figure out, is this something I can live with or is this something that I can't? If it's something that I can't, then you have to do something about it. Lots of checking in. The the theme is you got to check in with yourself. (laughs) You got to listen to your body and you got to check in. Listen, check in, and then ask. And it is a practice. I think I've been encouraged by hearing you say, not just tonight, but, you know, over and over on this podcast, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to figure this out. Like, let's normalize, not blithering, blundering idiots, but like, let's normalize being messy. Let's normalize trying our hardest and trying to make it work and messing up and trying again, because we're not encouraging carelessness or to be blase at all. all. But it's, if we don't try, we're never going to get it. And it's worth it to pick up, mess up, take responsibility for your mess ups and try again. And I think as we do this, as partners, as parents, as friends, as professionals, we're going to be so much more effective and truly so much happier. Yeah. Because living this way is amazing. It really is. You know, like I said, like I rarely ever dread going to work anymore. Like I love my job. And I think what's so funny is when you tell people what you do somewhere and with people that you don't know and you're doing the small talk thing and you're like, oh yeah, I'm at the trauma therapist. Inevitably people are like, oh my God, that's such a hard job. And I'm always like, I love my job. I have the best job in the world. It's an honor to do my job. And people are always like, what? But it's true. Like I have nothing bad to say about my job because it's amazing, but it's only amazing because I constantly check in with myself and because I have consultation and because I have a space where I can work out my triggers and my traumas in therapy and because I have safe people in my life and because I have a support system and I had to work hard to get those things, but it's so worth it. And you cannot do these types of jobs long-term and do them well without holding space for yourself too. And without getting real honest with yourself about why is this coming up for me? Yes. And that is why we're here having these conversations because the people that do this work are beautiful, incredible humans that have vision for the future and want a better world and are full of love and compassion. But you're still and human. And we are tired. And we are still yeah. human. And we have to learn because we weren't taught this stuff. And so if we want to be successful, if we want to be productive and effective, we've got to start having these conversations and lose the backpack. We've got to lose the backpack. And I think I was so unhappy for so long. Just like part of my personality (laughs) was just like not a happy person because I thought that bearing all of this weight 
made me worth something. I thought it was how I proved that I belonged, that I was enough, that I was doing my part, that I deserved to be here and take up space. And when I stopped wearing that emotional backpack like a badge of honor and I embraced the freedom that I believed that I had and chose to say, I want freedom for everyone, so I'm going to start with myself because I can't control anything else, but I can control myself. And I can't say I work in anti-human trafficking and I want people to experience freedom and to be their autonomous selves if I'm not doing it now. And to be able to live that way and then look in the eyes of someone who is trying to walk out of their situation. And when they look into my eyes, they're not seeing someone who is dependent on other people for their emotional state, who's carrying all this weight that doesn't belong to them. They're seeing someone who has reckoned with their own stuff and who has chosen freedom. And I think that is so, so powerful. They're seeing someone who's still on a journey. And I think that's important too. Yeah. And that is important. I do want to kind of highlight though, that as you're talking about this, you're not meaning to share, you're not meaning to tell people to share your story with your clients because we don't want that. You're talking about modeling this for your clients. Okay. Yes. Just wanted to, I just wanted to make Absolutely. that clear. 100%. For every, yeah, for 100%. everyone that's listening, we're not saying go out there and be like, yes. I'm yes. my autonomous myself, and so you can be too. We are just saying model this. Right, right. Draw from your own experiences. Tap into that internal experience, that internal struggle, so that you can model this well and so that you can live it out. And the overflow of that, that's what is called serving from overflow. That's what we're here to talk about. Mm-hmm. And when we serve from overflow, yeah. our clients notice. And... That is what you're talking about, is clients noticing that we're showing up with a full cup and without having to tell them, hey, I showed up with a full cup today because blah, blah, blah. Right. 100%. And I think I want you, our listener, to know that who you are is a gift. Not just what you do, not just your job, not just how you are there for people, but your entire being is a blessing. And we need you to be your full self, to be honest and authentic and brave and creative and hopeful and messy and disappointed. We need all of that. And my hope is that we as the professionals will kind of come out from under this weight of trying to perform or be enough or just be the helper and realize that actually when we stop trying to fit that role, and we just really embrace who we are as a person and live that out, I can promise you, not only will you be happier and more free, but the people around you will be blessed by who you are. Yeah, they'll feel that. My hope is that you'll experience what I did, which is that I realized when I was at my lowest and when I was messy oh, all these things, I thought this is why people liked me or this is why people wanted me around or why people respected me. Actually, that's not it at all because here I am a total mess and I'm still loved. I don't wish that unraveling on anyone, but I do wish that freedom. And so I want you on the other side of your speaker just to hear from me today that I'm glad you exist. I'm thankful for who you are as a being, as a person. And we together want to see you be full, 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 filled to overflowing so that when you show up, it's not scraping the bottom of your own barrel. That you're showing up with a full cup because you're worth it. Yes. Yes. You are worth it. Worth all the love and the care that you give to other people. And we want to be the voice that reminds you of that because we know that you're going to go into your job and remind others of it. So somebody's got to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Faith... I just love talking with you. Yeah, we really dug in deep on this one. We really Um, got in the trenches on this one. You are just full of wisdom and compassion. And that is so, so encouraging to me. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing your heart and your story. And yeah, yeah. same to you. As we sign off, we like to talk about what are we going to do to fill up our emotional cups and choose to serve How are we going to make sure that we're serving from overflow, taking that responsibility? Faith, what does that look like for you this week? Okay. For me this week, I am going to fill up my cup by going back to work. 
I'm so excited. I've been on break and I was so excited to be on a break, but now I am so excited to go back to work and yeah, I'm looking forward to going back to work and work really does fill me up. I'm excited about that. What are you going to do this week to fill up your cup? I love that. Way to go. Yeah. I loved my time off and I really took time off. Like didn't answer emails, didn't even look at my computer. I really shut it off and it has really allowed me to be like, gosh, I can't wait to turn it back on. (laughs) You know, if you know me, you know that I love what I do and I love working. And so shutting it off has been amazing and I can't wait to turn it back on. What are you up to this week? I should really have an answer prepared for this because we, <laughs> we, we do, do this, this every, every time. week. <laughs> <laughs> we do this every time. I do think, though, that I've been really, really reconsidering and reevaluating, especially my consumption. Like my creativity to consumption ratio has been way off for a really long time. And I am trying to swing the pendulum back the other way. So, This month, I'm going to be doing some painting and just taking some more time to really like stop with the podcasts and stop with the scrolling. And there's been too much content consumption. Mm, You're going to set some boundaries Um, around your consumption and funnel that into creativity. Yeah, that's beautiful. So that is where I'm leaning over these next couple of weeks. Well, I can't wait to hear how that goes and what you create and what you notice about your mental space when it's free, freed up a little bit. Yes. Yeah. I will report back. Yeah. You know, you know I'll ask you about it. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I love it. All right. Thanks for listening. Yes, thank you for being here. We are the Full Cup Professionals and you can email us at hello fullcupprofessionals.com. We would love to hear from you. Tell us what's resonating with you. Maybe what's not resonating with you. Tell us about how you felt about these two episodes about boundaries. We're so looking forward to some feedback. Yes. I am Krista and you can find me at good underscore sustained on Instagram or goodsustained.com. We'd love to catch you there. Faith, what are your socials? I am holistic underscore hope underscore on Instagram, or you could find me at my website at holistichope.net. Awesome. All right. We'll see y'all next time. Bye.